Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, today's show is a little different uh, due to some scheduling issues. We had some drops, but uh, I am joined by uh, Joshi, who you can find on Twitter at Doc underscore Joshi. You can also see him over on Full Time Devils, and he has his own uh, medical slash sports uh, site over at docjoshi.co.uk. Uh, very glad to have you on. Um, we are just going to kind of follow the normal script of the show. It'll just be uh, just the two of us uh, as yeah, the song, <laughs> as it's all claimed. Um, where I want to start off is is the European success of Premier League teams this year. Obviously, there have been some big results, Tottenham um, beating Real and Dortmund in the group stage, and then uh, a pretty hefty, uh, <laughs> if you can say so, 2-2 draw. Uh, in Turin against Juventus. Um, you have City beating Napoli in their group. Chelsea beat Atleti. United and Liverpool both kind of ran away with their groups. Do you think that, well, we talk a lot on the show about if the gap between the top six and the rest of the league is spreading, and it certainly seems to be. But do you think there's a chance that the gap between the top six in England and the European giants is actually closing? Well, um, yeah, I think so. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think you can look at City um, and just see that they're whoever they play, they're going to cause them problems. Liverpool's front four, Tottenham as a whole team unit, and with someone like Harry Kane up front, you know they're going to cause problems. Chelsea uh, with Conte and and uh, the sort of know-how in the squad as well, Eden Hazard there. So you're all, you know, all of these teams have a threat within them. There's something about them which make which puts them, you know, whoever we, whoever they play, there's, um, they're going to pose a threat. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, look at that, look at the top six in the in in the Premier League and look at their managers. I don't think there are there's a league that has mm. a collection of managers like that at the top end of the league. I mean, I know there are loads of great managers out there, loads of managers with great potential. Um, but when you look at that, you got. You know, when you look at Guardiola, Mourinho, Pochettino, uh, Conte, uh, Klopp, Wenger, you know, there's, okay, I know Arsenal aren't in the Champions League, but, you know, there's pedigree there, there's know-how, there's lots of different styles and ideas. You know, there's, there are, between them, there are a lot of trophies. I know Pochettino hasn't won any, but, you know, he's clearly got something about him and he's, got, he's still got loads of time ahead of him. So I don't think there is a collection of, like, pretty much world-class managers and coaches in any league so that's going to help you're going to have that that different perspective on things that know-how coming into this into the league then because of that you're also playing teams week in week out of a high caliber and you know lower down the league you've got uh top top managers uh, or very good managers who are turning their teams into solid um opponents and and you're basically tested week in week out so that's going to raise the caliber of the of the of the teams but then the other thing is the money right mm. the whole league there's just a load of money you know the premier league spends a lot of money on players and they can afford to do so city for for a different reason um but generally because of the premier league money these teams can spend a lot on players and and just bolster the squad bolster the first team so put those two things together and 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 the overall quality starts to come up I also think that these things tend to sort of go in cycles. You know, you had that United, you had that period in towards the sort of mid 2000s, late 2000s, where English clubs were in the semi-finals all the time, getting to finals. United were in three finals in four years, you know, and 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 then it was kind of Barcelona and the, uh, really hitting it. Then Bayern Munich were kind of in the German clubs, and then Real Madrid. And now Real Madrid looked to be coming the end of their kind of cycle they they still have the ability in there but when you look at the age of their squad or their core players in their squad that I don't think they're going to be there unless there's a sort of refresh you know they're not going to necessarily dominate for the next five five years so it does also go in cycles and it just so happens that Barcelona as well as they're playing in the league and they're obviously one of the favorites for the Champions League they're kind of in a little bit of a transition losing Neymar bringing in a few players um you know Mascher Mascherano's left, hasn't he, recently? Mm. Um, you know, so there's lots going on there. And and again, with Bayern, they brought back Heinz, uh, Heinz and uh, Heinkers and uh, whatever. So all these top clubs, there there are issues there. 
So it allows the English clubs to catch up. But, you know, when you put that all together, yeah, the gap is definitely closing. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And obviously, as a Tottenham fan, we've <laughs> heard plenty about how Real Madrid and Dortmund are uh, struggling this season and how uh, it doesn't really hurt, it doesn't really help our resume here in hindsight. But it is worth noting that both of them are second in their current leagues. But as you pointed out, a lot of the other teams in those leagues are kind of down as well, like our 2 2 with Juventus. Uh, while a very big result and they hadn't conceded multiple goals in years, basically, um, hadn't lost that stadium in the Champions League in a very long time either, um, they're currently in second. And this is a Juventus team that had basically won the title by now uh, in past seasons. So, yeah, I agree. I, I think, uh, as you say, it is cyclical. A lot of those uh, huge teams are starting to come back to the pack a little bit. And, uh, I mean, honestly, the English league was down for a while. I, no, yep. no disrespect to the Leicester season, but that was not exactly the the pinnacle of Premier League history. Um, and I think you know, seeing all the big clubs back in the Champions League, while less fun narratively, is good for I think the um, appearance of strength in the league and throughout Europe. And I think it's good for for the league to regain some of that reputation. Um, uh, kind of <laughs> following up on that, uh, curious to hear your take on. If you'd be uh, happy if a non-United side won, obviously you'd be very displeased <laughs> if, if it was City. Um, but for me, I think it's kind of a continuation of what we're talking about, that it is a signal that the Premier League is kind of back, at least at the highest level. Um, and I think it's well mm. on its... No? No. <laughs> no, so I, I'm not... I'm not a, let me put it this way. I'm not a Premier League fan. Like I don't... As in, I don't follow the Premier League. I'm a Manchester United fan. I mm. go to games, home and away, less so recently because of, you know, life. Um, but I, I, I'm one of those guys that's just like, right, I'm, I just, I don't have a second team. There are teams that I kind of like and I look out for, you know, I live, um, uh, you know, wherever I might live at the time, I look out for the local team score, but I don't support anyone else. And actually, as far as I'm concerned, Every game, I want the rival, my um, United's rivals to be beat. It doesn't matter whether it's in Europe, FA Cup, League Cup, the league. That's it. You know, ideally they'd all get spanked ten nil. Obviously, it's never going to happen. It ain't happening. <laughs> and United goes on to win the Champions League, you know, and wins everything. Right? That's what every fan, everyone fan wants. Every fan wants for their club to be really successful in everything they do. But for me, in Europe, I'm, I really don't care about the rest of the the sides. I know a lot of other people are like, oh. You know, we want the we want the English claim game to be strong, but you know, I'm not an England fan either. In sort of international football, I watch it almost as a neutral. I was born in Zambia, so they're kind of my team, but they're never in any of the tournaments. So you know, I kind of have to just watch as a neutral and follow the African teams, right? So even on an international level, I'm not really like one of these guys like oh, for the good of the English football and and all that kind of stuff. I'm more like well, Manchester United. That's kind of where I am, and that might be a bit immature and whatever, but that's just the way I've always been and most United fans will probably agree with that I think in other with other clubs there may be less of that but for United we're kind of I think a little bit I don't know what the word is immature <laughs> I don't know. But we just oh yeah I for me I, I don't see that obviously in terms of the wider game you know we want to retain the four spaces in the Champions League and all that kind of stuff because I think fairly recently we were close to dropping down the coefficient right true but then they changed the rule but yeah Italy Italy was quickly catching up yeah and um and there was almost that bit but other than that I I see no real benefit to United other in it with these you know like when Liverpool won it there was nothing inside of me going oh well that's good for the English game (laughs) or (laughs) When when Chelsea won it again, it wasn't at all. Uh, I remember where I was for both of those uh, matches, mm-hmm. um, enough. But uh, you know, other Champions League finals, I don't necessarily remember. Obviously, the United ones I do, but you know, other teams was because I was definitely supporting the opposition in both <laughs> of those games. Yeah, I was certainly uh, <laughs> going against Chelsea in that one because it ended up knocking us out of the Champions League. And that's one of the reasons why I, funnily enough, as somebody that doesn't live in England, think it is good when uh, champion, Champions League winners come from the Premier League. Um, but <laughs> I guess that's that's just a, a difference. But I, I think it may be different for you because for so long, United were kind of the banner holders for English football. So I think maybe, to an extent, if other clubs are doing it, maybe it's a, it's a kind of 
representation of the fact that United aren't clearly that team anymore? Maybe I think that that is probably that is probably part of it, and especially when it's clubs like um, let me put it this way: I'd rather Spurs went on and did well than City or Chelsea in, or, or obviously Liverpool, our biggest rivals. Mm. But that we all that sort of that, that I'm less that's where, there's a lot of bias there. But with City and Chelsea, just because of just the way in which they're now they're where they are or have got here in in the, in the sense that they've just basically been. A whole bunch of people has dumped. Have, but, but sorry, a whole bunch of cash has just been dumped into the club, and that's why they're doing well. I mean, obviously now there's the whole they've, they've built. They've got. They've both both clubs have got to the stage where it's not purely about the money. Both clubs have won things recently. They're going to be challenging. They've both got great coaches, but ultimately the starting point was just a huge ton of cash dropped on them. So for me, you know, it's kind of I would be I would much prefer you know Arsenal Spurs to to do to do well than those two clubs and using that logic you'd think i'd also like liverpool to do well but no that's just that's more <laughs> about the, the sort of specific rivalry with that club right so right. you know there's there's that there's that as well but i think historically united fans have also been quite like you know that we've got um to where uh, generally speaking united fans aren't england fans right uh, that goes back to like mm. when becker widely booed and and sort of uh perceived um treatment of other players and things like that over the years so i think you, you know united fans we're just generally you know that 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 whole wider the good of english football thing isn't really in the the psyche i, I don't think and that's not yeah. it's not just a recent thing that's that's ever since i've been a united fan for over the for the last like 32 years there's never been this idea that oh we should support our we we obviously support our players when they go to to national teams right and do well but we want them to do well but ultimately i think if everyone if all of our players retired from international football that'd be good for me i'm, I'm you know <laughs> and historically i think people have just been like that it would not be good for england if uh, spurs fans took that approach but <laughs> I, see where, I see where you're coming from i'm kind of rounding this off even if you don't want a, a non-united side to win it um we do both agree that that gap is closing with the big European clubs. And I think that that only does have further benefits. Um, I think one of the most interesting ways would be the talent pull. Because you mentioned that the Premier League sides are not not spending money. But um, I think one of the reasons why Pogba, who we'll obviously talk about later when we talk about club questions, um, was such a big deal, is it was one of the most prized talents in Europe choosing the Premier League which it kind of felt had not really happened in a while. We either bought talents and then grew them, or they left clubs that were smaller in their countries and then came here before further going on to huge clubs like Suarez did or, or, or the like like that. <clears throat> so that's that's why I think it would be a benefit if if a Premier League team won yeah. and reestablished the league as it is. But as you pointed out, the, the league could get there on its own, regardless of if a Premier League team won. The fact that there are five teams in it right now, the fact that they're doing so well, hopefully I'm not jinxing myself, before United and Chelsea both play this mm. week. Um, because if Chelsea get beat 5-0 by Barcelona, this is going to look a very foolish and premature conversation. <laughs> but um, I think that would be really interesting. Because, I mean, how many of the top 10 players in the world are in the Premier League? Two? Three, maybe? If you, if you count De Gea, well, if you count you know, goalkeepers at the same thing? Yeah. So, Kevin De Bruyne, mm -hmm. you'd, you'd have to say, he's the best player in the league right now. Yeah. I'm thinking him, Hazard, and question mark on De Gea, just depending on how people well, rate goalkeepers. De Gea, De Gea I mean, he has to be. I mean, I know there's this thing about how, key, you know, I, I know there's a perception about keepers because obviously they're not like, uh, you know, they don't play outfield, they don't score goals, they don't do that. But he's the, you know, he's number one in the world for me. And by far and away, you know, he's an established world-class player in our, in our United side, one of the few. So, yeah. But the thing is, when you look at the, the top leagues and you look at, yeah, we are attracting that quality. But you look at Real Madrid. I was watching Real Madrid the other day. And, you know, they, they aren't as good as they were last season. But you look at Modric and Cruz in that midfield and Isco, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, and the way they play football, Casemiro, and then even at the back, right, watching, this is now coming from a United fan who's had to endure Chris Smalling and Phil Jones all <laughs> season long. And you're seeing Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane 
step out and you know Marquinhos step out of the defense really comfortable on the board ball playing balls around the corner you can see that there are areas where some of these teams um are a, are a level above or two or two levels above even over city because city at the back are not you know when you go at them as liverpool showed as clubs have shown in flashes in games when you go at them they're not comfortable uh, when you put them under pressure, they're not comfortable on the ball. As good as everyone says John Stones is, he is not as good on the ball as has been made out because he's he's not got that experience that says to him, right, I I, I can take this guy on and and take and play the ball ball mm. around the corner or whatever because he's maybe it's a confidence thing, a belief thing, I don't mm. know, but he's still got. You can put him under pressure and he'll make mistakes, right? Also, um, I'm sure some City fans have gotten their heckles up as you say that, but I'm sure even they would admit that compared to the names you just mentioned, not there. No, exactly. So when you see that, and when you look at um, Bayern Munich as well, and and even Juventus, yeah, they, you know, Tottenham gave them a awesome game the other day, but, but that was when the first time they conceded two goals in a very long time. Yeah. Exactly, and it happens. You know, teams lose badly and teams let, letting goals and, and, and I think that was credit to Tottenham but also it doesn't take away from the fact that the defence, the, the, I think some of the players in these teams, like look at Barcelona the way they knock the ball about, everyone is comfortable on the ball and I still think that there's um, a way to go in terms of the teams uh, getting to that level but yeah, the gap is closing and the, the thing about the Champions League is it's a knockout competition, yes over two legs until the final but Almost anything can happen in those at times, you know. Um, we've seen, you know, Bayern Munich did Barcelona, one of the great Barcelona sides, over seven nil over two legs. So it tells you, you know, these things can things can happen in these games. Remember the PSG uh, Barcelona game last mm-hmm. se- uh, time last season. So anything can happen re- to an to a point. And so in a knockout competition, like we saw with Chelsea when they won it, they weren't the best side in Europe, far from it. When Liverpool won it, they weren't the best side in Europe. So things can happen. But overall, in terms of that consistent quality through the season, I think there is the gap is closing, but there is still that gap there. But not far off, I don't think, especially City with the form they're in, you know. They, they it, going forward, they're as good as anyone um, in 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 Europe. I would have thought, mm. and I'm sure they think so. Like uh, they they definitely aren't going to fear anyone yeah. with the season no, that, they're, that they're currently having. Um, and I agree with you on uh, the years that Chelsea and Liverpool won, and it's why I've always hated the phrase "you have to beat the best to be the best" because you literally do not. That's not how <laughs> tournament play works. <laughs> It's just, exactly. Yeah. It's just that. Um, and uh, just while we're on this, I think one of the benefits of having five sides in the Champions League right now is I know I just said that the Premier League isn't just buying these players at, at the height of their powers, but what they are doing is giving because the Premier League recently has largely been buying young talent and developing them. I mean, even United with your spending power recently have shifted to more of a buy young stars and develop them into full stars with Lukaku and Pogba. Um, although <laughs> Alexis kind of. Is an outlier there. I think there. over over the years, United have always done that. We've very mm. rarely gone out and got one of the top players in the world. I think the last one, I mean, okay, you know, recently um, since Fergie retired, there's been this a scattergun approach, and we're just buying everyone up like Di Maria and whatnot. You know. Oh but yeah. Historic- well, you just tried to replace that seven shirt for a long time because you did it with Di yeah. Maria, you did it with the pie, you did it with McTarian. Yeah. But historically, um, we've not, uh, although Mkhitaryan didn't have the seven shirt, but historically, we've not gone out and bought that top-level player. I think Veron was the last one under, under Fergie, or, or Van Persie, actually. But generally speaking, you know, we'll go out and buy, even when we do spend a shit ton of money, like when we spent $30 million on Rio Ferdinand, he, we could see he was going to be a top player, but he wasn't the finished article. Mm-hmm. 23 years old when we signed him. You know, Van Nistelrooy, 24, I think, when they signed him. So not not quite like youngsters and youth players, but also not quite hitting their peak and their prime. Mm-hmm. So we've always been like, we've not gone out and got the, you know, Batistuta and his prime, Baggio or Maldini. I remember reading these rumors in the papers when I was young and naive and thought that all these rumors <laughs> were, were, were almost like, you know, we're in there, we're in there, <laughs> as opposed to just selling the papers. But yeah. I think, and I think, you know, with the with City and Chelsea, with the money that they've been given, they have done a lot more of that sort of buying the players. Sometimes just for the name, like if they think of um, Robinho, 
when he signed for City mm. um, and just early period. And now it's becoming more along the lines of like with Gabriel Jesus, um, Raheem Sterling, John Stones, that sort of slightly younger end of the spectrum. They're not the finished article, but they're clearly talented players and will cost a lot of money, but they're, there's that way to develop them. So they're at that stage now because they've chucked a shit ton of money mm. to ex- to accelerate that sort of club profile and, 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 and competitiveness. Yeah, exactly. And then that attracts these players along. And then they've eventually got Pep Guardiola. I mean, let's face it, he... Man City was not on his radar ten years ago. True, right? But they, but then he's now their coach because of the money and what's gone on at the club. And now he's there. He's an extra attraction for other people to come there. So it's this—they're building in that it's sort an, of right way. Hmm. Yeah, it's an upward spiral. Um, but I guess uh, your Manchester United point is, uh, while not where I was intentionally going, actually kind of points to what I'm talking about, where the English clubs aren't thus far going out and doing something like buying Coutinho off Liverpool or PSG going and buying Neymar. Like that that's not where the Premier League is at right now, but if if the if things keep progressing as they are, maybe we'd start seeing that. And I think um that would just make the league more fun to watch as somebody that covers it. Yeah. It would be amazing to start having those names coming to the Premier League. Um and it is fun watching the players grow into those players, especially as a as a Tottenham fan having watched Terry Kane go from a troubled loan at Leicester hurting his leg at Norwich and then being recalled to where he is now. Like that is obviously a fun mm. narrative and he is now probably in that, you know, I'm not going to put him in the top 10, but that's any not stretch, just fun. But... That's the best bit about that for me mm. is one of the best things about being a football fan is like when we signed Cristiano Ronaldo and then seeing him become that kind World of player class, and all, yeah. the youth, all the youth players that have come through. And now we're watching Marcus Rashford. This is why, like, I don't, you know, what I won't do is knock young players that are coming through at whatever club, right? I'll take the piss just because as a fan, but actually, it's really cool to see that. And as a fan, that's why I don't get, oh, you know, Rashford has a bad, uh, a few bad games, and suddenly you've got fans all over him with these Mbappe memes, and and uh, oh, he's not as good as Kylian Mbappe. Well, Mbappe plays plays in the French league. Look at the match the other day. You know, Neymar is killing it in the French League. He's taking he's basically taking the piss. I mean I don't know if you saw the that run he did the other day where he picked it up in his own half, went round like three players in the centre circle twice, went through <laughs> and, and slipped um slipped a player in. It was he didn't score in the end, but it would have been like it was just taking the piss. But then against Real Madrid, he lacked that sort of decisiveness, didn't he? He he was he was you could see there was that he was trying uh, maybe a bit too hard. He was taking players on. He was beating them, but he lacked that sort of sharpness in in the final third in terms of making that killer instinct, uh, killer goal, right? So this is why when you see players come through and then suddenly someone's knocking them and making these comparisons to other people in different leagues, it annoys me. So, you know, Harry Kane, for Tottenham fans, there's like, you know, for me, that would be like a huge point of pride. But obviously now there's... It's probably going to come a point. I don't know what he's like as a character, but there may come a point where he it's not going to be enough. He'll want that next step in actually winning stuff. I don't know. But, you know, but still, that's a, him. You guys have a few players that have come through. And that's like, uh, for me, that's one of the best things about watching football. Yeah, it is definitely fun. And on the is the other half of this coin, because if we do get to the profile where we're able to just sign whoever the best players are in the world, we will have less of those stories of young players coming through. I think the best example of that is Barcelona, who built their recent success off the back of the success of their youth academy, but then have largely bypassed it of late. Um, I yeah. think maybe that's one of the reasons they've kind of come back to the pack, is that they don't have the players coming through like that. But I think again that this is another thing that you're never gonna have a group of players like Xavi, oh, and Pedro, you, yeah. you know, and just like United's class of '92, you're not gonna have that clutch of players come through every every five years. It's one of those, maybe not once in a lifetime, but it's like, like another thing that goes in cycles. Our youth program and academy and whatever wasn't doing very well. Nicky Butts come in and done an excellent job, and now we've got a clutch of players that look like they may go on. But the but the exposure these days with even the youth players now, you know, that's uh, it, it, we already know about that. We already, so when they come into the team, you're sort of expecting something great. Back then, when those guys in the class of '92 come through, 
if you've gone to youth team matches and you've seen them, then you kind of have some expectation or you hear about it through other fans or you read about them. But that's about it. You don't have a lot of coverage and it's not as hyped. So when the likes of Beckham are coming through, you know, when Beckham announced himself with that goal against Wimbledon, that was kind of when everyone sort of knew about David Beckham. But now um, we sort of know about these young players before they've even played like 5, 10, 20 games. So there's that as well, which is going to put that pressure on them. So that's why, you know, there's there's a lot of factors involved. But for me, that's one of the best things is is that sort of the youngsters coming through. But if you look at Real Madrid, you're talking about a, a, a sort of these ready-made stars coming into clubs. I think they've done it all right. You know, you've got Asensio coming through. They've got a few other players coming through as well. And they're doing okay on that front. They just need to, you know, so you can do it. Um, and City have an opportunity to do that as well. Um, Pep Guardiola apparently is this exponent of youth, but I would dispute that over over <laughs> the course of his career. That's a different that's a topic, a different conversation. I'm but... sure you would. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. we've been talking about this for a while, uh, so we're going to take a break, and then uh, Joshua will come back with some questions for you uh, about United. And if you have any questions about Spurs, we can get to that too. All right, and we are back, uh, Joshi. Obviously, we're going to start with Manchester United since uh, you're our guest today. Um, but uh, I wanted to start off with uh, video assistant refereeing. Obviously, there was a, a uh, in my eyes, incorrect call, but in media-wise, a controversial call uh, for Juan Mata saying he was offside. And then, unfortunately, some of the TV channels showed the heinously squiggly line that deemed him oh to have been God. offside, <laughs> uh, which was probably not the best thing that they could have done. Um, as I said, from my eye, was the incorrect decision. I'm sure from yours, it was as well. Um, what did you make of, of seeing that as a United fan, and how damaging do you think it could be in, in VAR's infancy in, in England? I, mean, I think, first of all, the I think the damaging bit is the the length of time it took, but then also the pictures we saw on screen with those ridiculous lines. They weren't even they were diagonal. Yeah, they, yeah, they were. They they were. They'd look like they'd been written by like a my drunk four year old, uh, drawn by you know like they just weren't straight for a start, and then they weren't even parallel to the penalty box line. So I, as I understand it, that is not the picture. Those are not the pictures that were used to make the decision. But the the fact that we saw that is going to tarnish the um, perception, right? Um, and I mean I don't want to go into that specific decision there. There are so many issues with VR, and I think fundamentally, uh, I understand the principle, and I can kind of get behind the idea that, look, we want to try and get as many decisions as correct as possible. But I also think that there's the whole idea that, look, football isn't a stop-start game. Uh, you know, I can't think of too many games that that flow like football. I mean, like even rugby, you stop for a scrum, you stop for um, penalties and this and that and, and whatnot, but that football is probably the most like the flow of football is more important than necessarily getting everything 100% right and and like let's talk about the offsides yeah so yesterday the referee the, the lino didn't flag the referee could not have made a decision on that at all from his position so what we've seen here is a third party it, not even at the match they're seeing pictures on on a, a video They've flagged something up that they've seen. So what they've done is they've taken a cursory look at the goal and said, oh, it's tight. Have let, Let's go to VAR. Gone to the ref and gone, we're checking this goal out. And then ha- and then told the ref that it has to be um, ruled out. Now, you're in that instant, you're undermining the linesman. Because I think the linesman, in, in terms of when you think about real time at the pace of football, he's made a good decision, right? In, in, he's made the decision in, in the best faith. There's no way he can see a kneecap beyond the defender, right? And to use a video camera to then say, well, actually, the linesman has um, has not got this 100% right, I think is wrong. There, there's a fundamental undermining of the like of officials these days because what will then happen is people are going to be scared to make decisions or or vice versa. They'll make decisions... And then things will happen. Like, what if um, someone is through on goal, called, they're definitely onside, but they're incorrectly called offside? The match stops. And then mm-hmm. you can never get that moment back. 
you're not going to then go to VAR and say, oh, actually it was onside, right? Everyone get back in position. The matter was through on goal. Everyone, are we in the same place? No, they're not going to do that. So there's a yeah, fundamental... Yeah, and it is not one of the things under the purview of VAR. Well, it can't be because if you've given a thing... So if you've given someone offside, then what do you do? Like, if he's then called on, if he's then seen to be off onside, you've lost that moment. So what happens now? Will a linesman then go, mm, I might just keep my flag down and leave it to the VAR? Is that what they're going to do? And is that mm. what we really want them to be doing? I don't know. The other thing is, we're assuming that the, look, someone was talking about on Twitter, you know, they've got incredible software that they're using to make these decisions. And, and I'm like going, what software? They don't. It's, VAR has been explained in the FIFA reports and in lots of other things. And I've read the FIFA reports. It's essentially, um, they've just got loads of different cameras all around the pitch that we don't necessarily see. And when there's a decision to be made, there's a technician that looks at the camera angles who then uploads it for the fourth official or fifth official or, the, or whatever they are now, the, v, the, the actual VAR guy, because so that actually stands for what video assistant referee. So he uploads the new angles for him, for the ref, the ref to see who then makes a decision. So there's no specific technology. We're still under the, the sort of um, jurisdiction or whatever you want to call it of two human beings making subjective decisions based on just different camera angles. Now, you're never, ever, ever going to have a camera angle that is 100% in line in terms of uh, the the player in an offside decision. Yeah, that's, I'm using offside because that's what we were talking about before. The mm. other thing to note in an offside decision is how do you know the exact moment when Ashley Young, in this case, or the, the, the player plays the ball. When is the exact moment? So when you look at the pictures which were used, it to me looks like the ball is already traveling away from Ashley Young's foot, which means the frame, the, the frame rate is later on than it should have been. It should be the moment he touches the ball, right? Or is it the moment it goes forward, the ball goes forward? Because that's another thing. How can you tell in that moment, you know, is it when it's going forward because, you know, a sideways pass is allowed or is it the moment he touches the ball? Do you see what I mean? There are all of these things going on and people are making these minute, minute decisions. Now, compared to cricket, where on-field decisions stay unless there is a clear evidence that it was an incorrect decision. So when you've got borderline where the cricket is just hitting the bales, according to Hawkeye, it, and it wasn't given out, say an LBW, it's, it's the on-field st- decision remains, right? And the other thing to note in, in, in cricket is they don't just use replays. They've got Hawkeye. They've got um, Hotspot. They've got Snicko. So they've got multiple bits of technology that, um, that you don't have when you're an umpire making the decision. The only thing that um, the referee and the linesman doesn't have, obviously, is the replays, which we see. and we But they're always, we know over the years that replays have got issues as well because sometimes a replay comes in. I mean, before you were talking about Deli Ali today apparently diving, I quickly went onto Twitter and there's already, there's still a debate going on. Some people saying it wasn't a dive. Some people saying it was a dive, right? Which tells you that the replays that we are seeing, I know they get different angles, there's, they're still open to interpretation. So if you're going to bring technology in it has to be under it has to be either 100% perfect or there has to be an acknowledgement that these things are imperfect and therefore um there has to be a clear there has to be clear evidence that the the uh, matter was offside for example and in this case they used his knee being ahead of the defender but actually when you look at, when you think about the camera angle the frame rate and when it was paused you can never know that that his kneecap or his knee was ahead it was it, mm. so in that decision in that situation it's not 100% so you have to acknowledge in that situation that there's a problem um so therefore the on field decision remains but winding it all back in i just think there's a fundamental issue with it in terms of football isn't that kind of game football is a game where you where you're kind of you know fl- flashes of brilliance and there's it's a bit more open there's more flow to it and and this the var thing just opens up a whole load of other issues like imagine i can just immediately envisage um and this is going to var 
we're going to go to a break for 30 seconds. You know, what that would piss me right off. So, yeah. you know, there's just a lot of things going on. But the fundamental, the, the, the fundamental philosophical argument as to whether or not VAR should be in the game. But then there's the, also the argument around actually the technology. Is this the thing we want? Yeah. Is, like, is, is this the format for it? Yeah, exactly. Because it's not like they've got, I mean, look, goal line technology, bang, I'm all for it. It doesn't stop the flow of the game. It um, makes decisions accurately. Hawkeye is a proven bit of technology. Yeah, exactly. Immediately and accurately. And Hawkeye is a proven um, technology used in sports, you know, all around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays still open to uh, open to interpretation. Especially when it's just putting two eyes on it, as you mentioned, people still debating other things, and then you get into, you know, is is an attacking player required to avoid contact? And we've been having that conversation on the show all the way back to Vardy. Um, so people are always going to tend to see incidents differently. I agree with you that a more, a more mechanical approach. Um, would at least be more truthful. Whether or not it would have said a kneecap was technically offside then becomes less debatable if the, if the technology is trusted. So I um, think it'll take time to get there. I do slightly disagree with you um, on the stop-start uh, action of the game. We actually talked to, about this a couple weeks ago, and uh, only like three teams have played more than 60 minutes in a match this season, like of like watch time that the ball's been in play. Uh, and the only four things that can be uh, reviewed under VAR are goals, penalties, red cards, and mistaken identities for red cards. And in all of those situations, play has already stopped. Um, so I, I think as long as it was kept a little shorter, I don't think it would be as problematic because, as I said, play would be stopped at those times. Um, but it has gone over that. The average time I think sure. we mentioned is about yeah. two minutes, two minutes and 30, um, which is obviously longer than those stoppages tend to be. Um I think it can get to a good place, but I, I do think that so this... Mm. what happens, for example, you know, we, we see lots of situations where, well, this was one of the... Well, hang on, let me think about this. Where a player scores celebrating the, the, the ref flags for off... The, the line of flags for offside, um, and then it's brought back, and then that, that can go to VAR, and then it's given back to the player, right? So, it to me, that isn't... I know that goals can only it's goals are reviewed right but thinking back to that situation where a player is through on goal and incorrectly flagged offside that won't go to VAR because he was never given the opportunity to, to go and put the ball in the net right? right and there's there's a little bit of a a flaw there in the processing and the thinking because you're you're kind of disadvantaging the strikers if you think about it because point. it can only be taken away it can't be given in, in in that situation, yeah, I mean, obviously it can be given because you can incorrectly flag someone, say at, um, I don't know, I can't think of it, maybe a, a tight offside call uh, and, you know, say the reverse situation for Matter. He was flagged offside, he put it away. What happens? Can that be brought back? Because then the keeper can argue, oh, I saw the flag, I stopped, I stopped um, playing. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So that there are these things that are issues in, in, in the process and the interpretation of or how it's applied, the application of it. I'm not, I'm not against it, right? And I do agree with you in, okay, for, you know, there are always going to be teething problems with, with new stuff coming into the game. There's always going to be a, a, a hesitancy in accepting it. Um, and then eventually it, it sort of will settle down. But there has to be more structure, I think, in terms of the way in which it's applied and, and look, it's easy, like you say, with mistaken identity for red cards. Um, I would say red cards is also going to be slightly difficult as well, right? Because sometimes there are, you know, the intent of a tackle. You can't necessarily see the intent, right? Um, and then there's an element of interpretation. What was the other ones? Off uh Goals and penalties. Goals, penalties, red cards, and mistaken identity on red cards, which so, pr- pretty much you could have just written in as the Gibbs rule. Yeah. So yeah, pretty much yeah. But <laughs> look, it's it's um. Th- I think there are issues and there are problems with it, and big problems. This isn't just a teasing problem thing. I think there are big problems with it. But I'm I'm not personally against the idea of helping the referees out because let's face it, I think they're really shit. But uh, any help they can get is good, but not in this format. The way it is right now doesn't isn't um, reliable enough 
and it still depends on someone else's it's just basically someone else's interpretation of it with the with the pictures and look so for me it's not quite um robust enough to implement in in the premier league for god's sakes we're not this is like it's the top level of football right you you don't want to be faffing about with things that aren't quite working and look this is the premier league it's going around around the world and those are the pictures that have been sent out with the squiggly Mm. lines and it's kind of i mean not embarrassing for me but you know for whoever's in charge and and implementing this stuff and broadcasting pictures or giving those pictures to broadcast uh, to BT, that is not a good look. Certainly not. Um, moving on to a more holy Manchester United conversation. I'm sure many listeners have seen a lot of headlines this week about Pogba versus Mourinho. Um, so before we get into your take on it, I would like to get uh, kind of a, a synopsis from you uh, so that people aren't running around with the wrong ideas. In the game against uh, Newcastle, I think, there was a little bit of an argument on the sidelines between Mourinho and Pogba. Or it looked, not an argument. We don't know what they were talking about, but slightly heated exchange where they were both animated and they were both talking to each other, waving their arms about. So everyone's like, oh, okay, what there, what's going on there? And then since then, there's obviously been, you know, all of this. There's all just general chat on social media in the mainstream media around where's Pogba's best position. Um, and then because of that little bit of a spat, they're talking about, oh, well, you know, there's one side of the argument, which is he should do what he's told and sacrifice for the team and get on with it. And uh, the other side of the argument is why sign a 90 million pound player and then ask him to do things that he's not comfortable with, right? Play to his strengths, not his, not ask him to do a job. Um, and then what's happened is there were some, there's obviously been briefings from both camps. He was linked, uh, Pogba's been linked, uh, linked to Real Madrid going, he regrets Man United move. Apparently this is, it's not a quote. It's obviously rumors. And then there was something about Jose Mourinho, um, not happy with Pogba, et cetera, et cetera. Then Mourinho comes out in the press conference and calls the press out where like, basically this is, this is lies. It's, it's crap. It's, it's whatever. And then he went on to explain about where Pogba plays and positionally, etc. And then Pogba was ill for the match last night against Huddersfield. So now it's like, oh, Pogba's leaving, Pogba's leaving. So essentially, that's kind of what's happened. And and it's been this whole like debate about Pogba versus Mourinho and and who's right, what should Pogba do, blah blah blah. And I can see the case for both sides in terms of the positioning um, in, in where he plays, but. I think it's a lot of the press jumping on things and and Mourinho killed it dead quite nicely in his press conference um, and was just like, well, look, he just said, Paul has just not been playing well. He's out of form. That's what it is. It's nothing to do with where he's been playing because it, we haven't fundamentally changed formation or anything since the beginning of the season where we were, he was at a couple of good games and then form what press printing is, is based on that's like a synopsis of what's happened yeah so th- this has obviously launched a larger conversation about the issues with Mourinho as a manager and with Pogba as a player I'm curious to get your take on how you viewed Pogba's tenure at Manchester United because some uh, claim that he's you know he was way overpriced and that he hasn't done well in the Premier League but others will look at his assist numbers uh, and his his importance to your results the first half of the season and point out that he has actually been very crucial uh, for Manchester United. What have you made of his tenure thus far? I think the second point you made is probably the more important point, and that's when Pogba plays well, Manchester United play well. When Pogba's not in the side and he's or he's not playing well, we don't we are disjointed, we don't we don't look as threatening um a team. And that's that's it. You know, he is fundamentally uh, he's he's crucial, like you say, to the way Man United play and and getting the best result for the team. Um, he needs to be in that side. He's a world class player. He's going through a bit of bad form. Every single player in the world goes through a bit of bad form. Cristiano Ronaldo, first half of the season, you know, 
now he's banging goals in because he, he just loves the knockout knockout stage of the Champions League, you know. Um, Messi went through, even Messi has been through, I'm not saying Pogba's on the same level, but I'm just saying he's going through a bit of bad form. That's what it is at the moment. Um, people who say Pogba was overpriced, ultimately that's not really been borne out to be true when you've got Virgil van Dijk moving for £75 million, Philippe Coutinho moving for 120 Neymar, Mbappe, £150 million has been promised or whatever it is. You know, the numbers are the numbers. and we had to sign Lukaku and had to pay £75 million for him, right? On When you think about those that level of player and you think about the value of Paul Pogba, not just on the pitch but commercially, that we paid, yeah, at the time it was a world record fee, but it was kind of like that's the way the game was going. So now, in hindsight, we can say, yeah, all right. Imagine if someone tried to sign him now. You are not getting him for less than 150 mil, mm. whether you're Real Madrid or whoever right so that tells you where the market has gone but it also tells you that the price we paid at the time was at that point where the market is going in that direction so so you can argue it two ways so for me i think yeah the problem the other problem is whenever people compare pogba they go oh, well he's not as good as de bruyne and i'm going yeah all right relax de bruyne is one of the best players in the world uh, you know, it's, that's like saying, oh, Hazard's not as, as good as Messi. Yeah, all right. But, <laughs> like, okay, but Hazard's yeah. a, he's a really good player, right? He's a phenomenal player. You know, these are things that are, they're always going to come up and fans and, and, and the media will do it because it's nice narratives and stories and build up to matches and things like that. But ultimately, Pogba, I think, is a world-class player. I watch him week in, week out, and I wouldn't swap him for anyone in the world. Um, and that, you know, including De Bruyne, mainly because he's mine and I'm biased, and De Bruyne is at City, so whatever. But the, they're different players as well. So you you've got to look at the way City's team is built, the amount of money they've spent, and look the core players at City. When you look at them, they've been there for a while. So before Pep arrived, they already had David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero, Vincent Company. Um, Otamendi, Sterling, right? So they've got a core group of players that are already there who are still extremely important players for them. And you look at Man United, the core group of players that have been there for a long time are not our best players. Yeah, they, they're not. It's like, you know, Smalling's been there for ages. Mm. Jones has been there for ages. Valencia's been there for ages. Young, Carrick. So the, the core of the team in terms of playing together, is fairly young. And now you've added Alexis Sanchez to the mix. So when the team matures and, and has had that length, you look at Real Madrid, you know, that's a perfect example of this length of time playing together. Their first 11, you could probably name it. Their starting 11, you could name it for the last few years, right? There's probably a question mark over the, the third midfielder, but essentially, um, well, no, there isn't anymore because you've got Casemiro, Cruz and Modric, right? But you could name it, and they've been playing together for years and years and years. And similarly with that Barcelona side. So they didn't all just suddenly come together and bang, they were playing brilliant football. Obviously, it takes the coach and it takes the players. But so this is so my point, Pogba and all of that is he's still like this is his first season playing with Matic, first season playing with Lukaku. Now Alexis Sanchez has come in, only his second season playing with Rashford and Martial. Um, and and whatnot. So these relationships will build, and it's obviously up to Mourinho to do that. And whether he's the right coach for that is a different issue. But they'll come through. So for me, world class talent. You know, he's up there in terms of his numbers, in terms of assists. But that to numbers aren't the the the, the thing that I you know that I look at predominantly. I look at I watch him and I watch the way he plays and I watch how we are as a team with him in there. And we're a much better side. So for me. Yes, he's going through a patch where people are going to jump on his back and he's an easy target because of all his antics with the hair and his commercial interests and all that. But for me, you know, he's our best play, out, best outfield player without a shadow of a doubt. And um, I wouldn't swap him for anyone. Yeah, also worth noting that while the assist numbers are good, that's not largely the point of his position. <laughs> um, it's, it's nice, uh, but... As we mentioned before, you play better when he's playing. That's really the point of a central midfielder. And if you get assists or goals, that's nice. But 
you know, you can have a successful match without getting those things in his position. I think I think he does need to contribute more in terms of goals. Um, assists, I don't really the assist numbers aren't really a you know a huge thing for me. Like you know, if you pass it five yards and someone bangs one in from from 45 yards out, <laughs> you get an assist, right? Yeah. But really, is that an assist? No. So for me, it's not the assist, it's the way he plays the game. But I would I, but I would say that he does need to contribute more in terms of goals because he's got a great strike on him. He's good in the air. Um, and, and, you know, and he should be finished. Anyway, and we've seen he's a good finisher when he's in those in those tight positions. So he does he does need to contribute more on that front. But obviously, we do have assist numbers and all that. And he is up there. So... You know, not every single Kevin De Bruyne assist is a world-class ball around the corner. <laughs> but at the same, so so you can sort of compare at times. Uh, but at the same time, I, I sort of don't look at assist numbers that much. Like Paul Scholes probably didn't have great assist numbers. Roy Keane, and you know, when you look at these players, there's a lot more than just uh, assists. We, you know, it's about the way in which they influence the team. They get other people playing. They, you know, whatever it might be. And now I'm seeing people talk about pre-assists. This is really winding Secondary up. assists, yeah. Or the hockey oh, assists, it's, it's colloquially assist. known. Oh, my. So is that it's the pass the of the pass. pass. Or, or the Modric stat for people that are wondering what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, no. I, I think that is also kind of like the skull stat. <laughs> kind of, you know, that pass where it might be that pass, you slip in the winger who just squares it for the striker to have a tap in. The winger gets the easy assist, but it was all about that pass into the inside channel. So I kind of get it, but I don't get it. Don't start using these <laughs> secondary assists. We'll <laughs> <laughs> see what I can do. So with Spurs, mm-hmm. yeah, we heard, I, I saw a quote the other day, Pochettino saying uh, something along the lines of, um, you know, style of play is almost more important than winning trophies, mm-hmm. And yeah, look, you have to enjoy watching your team play. You you, you want to see young players come through. You want to see exciting football, etc. But does there come a point where that isn't enough? And you know, when when is that point? How long do you give Pochettino? Um, we we did briefly touch on this uh, last week, but I, I really like the way you framed it because it puts more of a timetable on it. And the question is, uh, soon enough for whom? Because that that is a very different mm. question depending on who that, that base is. If you're Daniel Levy, seeing the success that Pochettino has brought, seeing the valuations of all of the players under Pochettino soar, where the club would be in a much better position than it would have been if it had not hired Pochettino, I don't think trophies at this point matter to Daniel Levy anymore. We're about to move into the stadium. Our squad is, you know, when they do those yearly uh, squad value rankings, we're, I think, 12th uh, in mm-hmm. the world Obviously would not have been that without uh, Pochettino developing, you know, Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen, Della Ali, um, and all of our wingbacks <laughs> being very good options, yeah. as we saw with the sale of Kyle Walker, and we could see uh, with the sale of uh, Danny Rose, question mark, as your ears may perk up. Um, <laughs> but um, So for, for Daniel Levy, I don't think trophies are an issue anymore. I think they were at one point, and I think I mentioned last year several times that if he didn't win a trophy this year, there could start to be questions asked. I no longer think that that's the case for Levy. For Pochettino, we heard his opinion. As you pointed out, that was his opinion, was that um, winning trophies is not as important as the development and and progress of the club. And what we did land on last week is (laughs) saying that the development of a club is more important than the results is like um, a a very strange analogy because the point of that progress is results, right? Like the the whole point of that development is that eventually you will win trophies and that, that they will be the uh, culmination of your efforts, not a separate entity. Um, but uh, I think he very much agrees that with his own <laughs> comments, obviously, uh, that the development is more important if you were to separate the two. For the players, this is where things start to get interesting. Because <laughs> as you mentioned on the pre-show, and as Sky feel the uh, obligation to bring up any time Tottenham have a decent result, uh, Tottenham players have to leave if they want to succeed, despite results against Madrid, Dortmund, Juve this year. Um, Toby Alderweireld clearly wants out of the club, despite the fact that we saw him play today uh, against Rochdale and have a horrible match 
which kind of makes you wonder what would have happened if he had played against Juventus, but instead that had to be about the whole contract thing. And he's a world-class player being left out. Nobody's arguing that Toby Alderweireld isn't an amazing center back, but Pochettino left out a player that is clearly not fully back and integrated into the squad since his injury. Um, so the media very much <laughs> wants us to win trophies or all of our players to leave. And I think they'd honestly rather us not win and all of our players leave because anytime we have success, that's where the narrative goes. But some of the players may want that. I've said pretty much since day one with Della Ali, I think he'll be the first to go of this crop. Um, if we well, missed Kyle out Walker. on... Ch- you what? Kyle Walker left. <laughs> Kyle left Walker to- did leave. He um, left to leave to go... And, let's face it, he left to go to City for the trophies, didn't he? And Play to win right pep. now. But the, yeah, there Money were also... And- there were extenuating circumstances as well yeah, sure. um, with him wanting to return to the North, which we had known pre-Poch. Um, that eventually oh, he wanted okay. to do that. And it's one of the things that's driving the Danny Rose conversation as well. But also, he troubled his wages and is now about to win, if not one, multiple trophies. Um, yeah. So, th- so there is a lot to that. Um, Harry Kane says he wants to stay. I mean, as you said, I-, I 100% believe that right now Harry Kane intends to stay here for the rest of his career. I'm not ignorant enough to think that as he matures, you know, because he's still, what, 24, 25? I'm not ignorant enough to think that as he grows, that opinion might not change. But I do believe what he's saying right now that he wants to stay, just as I believe it with Potch. Just because he says it now and might eventually leave doesn't mean they were lying right now. I think both of them see the trajectory of this club and think, I would like to be here forever. Um, But again, circumstances can change, much like Kyle Walker, who (laughs) in January of last year uh, was in a stream and somebody asked if he was going to move to City or United, and he said, Tottenham till I die. And then six months later, is pulling on a light blue shirt. Um, situations change. Um, but I think Del Ali could leave. Um, if we don't sort out uh, Alderweireld's contract, he very much could leave because I think he only has 18 months left on that contract. Um, so then then our trophy's starting to matter, yes, because all of a sudden your elite-level players are, are potentially going to leave. You have Hugo and Toby who are older, obviously. I think that puts them in that, that category, although I think Hugo is now here for the long term. Um, but Toby Alderweireld could could leave because there aren't trophies. Long-term, Kane could leave because there aren't trophies. Del Ali, I think, could just leave for any <laughs> multitude of reasons. Um, but he, he feels not particularly um, loyal to the club, and he shouldn't have to. You know, he's only been there for two and a half years now. Um, three and a half. Anyway, because <laughs> we bought him in January, and then he didn't come to the following fall. <laughs> then the fan base. The fan base are starting to expect trophies. And this is what the, the comments this week have really riled up. Um, is this kind of divide in the fan base where you have a whole bunch of people saying, you know, this is the best side we've had since the 60s um, when we had the double winning side. Um, And it's evidence in our play style. And, you know, the last two seasons before this one, every, uh, well, not every, but the majority of fan bases we played said we were the best team they played all season. Um, Despite the fact that Leicester and Chelsea ended up winning those titles. Obviously, this year, you, you pretty much default have to give that crown to City. But we have been playing a beautiful brand of football. We have very talented players that are still growing, which you mentioned earlier is one of the most pleasing things as a fan base to see, especially when they come through the academy. Um, but there is a portion of this fan base, uh, and obviously neutrals, that think if we don't win a title, this doesn't matter. That it's just kind of an exercise in futility. But what I mentioned last week kind of is my my ceiling point, and if you'll forgive me, may do again so here, is you can only win a title five days of the year. But you can support a club with beautiful football, with players that you like um, the, the rest of the year. You can enjoy going to the ground. You can enjoy the atmosphere. You can enjoy the positivity. You can see the new stadium updates every week and may wake up at unrealistic times uh, just to look at the live cam of the stadium. I can't, I don't know anybody that would do that, but you could hypothetically. Um, and so it is, it is part of the process as a fan seeing the building. Would, would all of this development be um, somewhat hollow if there wasn't a, a trophy to put in the case and say, this is the evidence of all that work we did. Yeah, it would be disappointing, but uh, we'll wrap it up with just my take, which is I don't think trophies are any, uh, longer the, the barometer by which Pochettino will be judged at Tottenham. Um, externally, I think it will be. And so it, I think it just kind of comes down to that. I, mean, I think you made a good point, actually, because only, what, maximum five clubs in the Premier League can win something every year, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the Premier League, 
the League Cup, the FA Cup, Champions League, and Europa League. Mm-hmm. That's it, really, on offer. I don't really, I don't. Uh, count and if for people Shield. wondering why we don't mention the Community Shield, it's because you would have had to have won one of those to play in it. Exactly, or the European Super Cup, or actually, not necessarily for the Community Shield. You could finish second, and mm. the other and, and the, team the other wins team wins double. Won both. But, right. but yeah, but the point is, it's not like there are trophies on offer for every single. You know, like every single club is winning trophies around you. So the majority of fans go through their entire lives, like, well, not entire lives, but they go through the the whole, for a long time without winning stuff. And they still enjoy going to football. And so that, there has to be more than just trophies. But at some point, if you're in that sort of considered to be in that top level club, then there has to be that, the, there has to be like a, what everything has to come to a head like a you know, it has to there has to be something to show for it surely like otherwise you'll just be remembered as a what in 30 years time who's going to remember you know other than spurs fans like yeah they played good football but yeah. there needs to be something at the end of it surely i don't know that i i mean i i i get your point of view and i and i fully see that but at the same time that I think obviously maybe I'm spoiled because I've, <laughs> in the last 20 odd years United have been winning so much, but even in the last four years we've won three trophies. Right. Yeah. So, no, I, I see your point. Um, and I, I think, like I said, that well, the original point was that externally I think we will be viewed as a failure long term if we did not succeed during this period. Internally, some will think that. I personally don't. <clears throat> but the other thing is, is is this a present day issue or a future issue? Because we're very much enjoying it right now, as I said. But yeah, okay. in, in history, as you point out, it could fade into obscurity if there is nothing to kind of lock onto. And what you know, we could debate for hours whether or not that's how sports should be viewed. Um, but I agree with you that that historically, this team will be looked upon negatively uh, by some fans within and a lot of fans without, or from um, <laughs> what do I want to say, from outside the club, uh, if if nothing is won, and if they don't view it negatively. They might not view it at all. <laughs> they might just be, nobody will think about this team that was good for four years under Mauricio Pochettino and that they potentially should have won. But but I think the isn't I think out of all of this stuff, out of everything you talk about, who, which point of view, right? And I get like the fans don't necessarily want uh, need trophies to enjoy what they're doing, but then part of that is the players as well, right? So you mentioned mm-hmm. a few. And if you don't win something, they're going, some of them might get itchy feet and go, right, I, want to, I really want to go and win something. Because these are still, they're part of a team, but they're still individuals. And no, sports people have to be competitive. They have to strive for the best. They have to be arrogant at times to be the best at what they do. And then if they're not seeing something at the end of it, that medal, it's not even the physical medal. It's that, you know, I won something. I was part of a team that won something. Then they leave and then suddenly the football gets crap. Then Pochettino leaves and then suddenly you're like, oh, back in that cycle. Maybe Harry Harry Redknapp comes back, <laughs> and, then, and, and then you're you're back in that issue. So there's there has to be a bit of a balance, surely. Even though I agree, from a fan perspective, you can enjoy the season. I mean, one of my favourite seasons as a fan, not uh, as a fan going to matches recently, was the David Moy season because I just enjoyed it with the guys that I was going with. Yeah, the football was, despite what was happening happening on the pitch. <laughs> I just had we just had so much fun off it, and and you know then you sort of after uh, very quickly resign yourself that oh we're not going to win anything it's going to be a crap season but we went abroad I, I know I went away with United um, that season as well in Europe and it was great laugh so for me I can totally see that enjoyment but I don't think that had anything to do with anything going on on the pitch but I, I can see where you're coming from but ultimately you're going to lose that if um, players start to leave and the club starts to sort of lose a bit of direction mm. because uh, and maybe that that the trophy can that first trophy can sort of bring everyone in a bit and go right cool and it happened it happens with all the sides that it's always that first trophy and then you can start to see that momentum building chelsea city united with rooney and ronaldo that side you know was like we were kind of going well, are they going to be good enough are they going to do it then they won the league cup and then they then they just went from strength to strength yeah no, I, I think that's an excellent point, and I'm glad that you said balance because some people have said outright trophies are better than than development, and then you have people saying, "So would you rather have Juan de Ramos or Mauricio Pochettino?" And it kind of draws things into a, a bit of a sharper relief within the Tottenham fan base. But uh, yeah, I, I do think it would be a shame if this Tottenham team did not win a trophy. All right, that'll do it for us today. Uh, 
Josh, you want to tell the folks where they can find you? Cool. Thanks, man. Uh, you can see, find me on Twitter at, um, doc underscore Joshy. Uh, also appear on full time devils, uh, this podcast, other podcasts. I do some writing for the sportsman.com. I also do some sports science writing and you can find most of my stuff all in one place at uh, docjoshy.co.uk. That's my sort of portfolio website type thing. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my uh, writings of the fantasy style, um, the sports kind, not the elves kind, um, <laughs> over at goal.com. And you can also listen to the championship and fantasy Premier League shows that you can find on this very channel. Uh, Joshy, thanks so much for, for joining me. It was nice doing it, uh, just the two of us. Uh, hopefully people at home enjoyed it as well. Uh, thanks for joining me, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.